The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. We need a president who respects science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon Easter. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. This podcast lands every Friday and can reasonably be seen as your weekly digest on all matters green. The man front and centre to the whole thing is, of course, the environmentalist and entrepreneur Dale Vince. Morning to you, Dale. And I think we, we start with some breaking news. Yeah, morning, Ian. Yeah, we've had a busy week, actually. Um, we... We've been working on this for, well, for months, actually. We set out about a year ago to find a, a partner for the electric highway so that we could kind of upgrade it, you know, uh, replace all our old pumps and bring in some new high-powered charging and stuff. I mean, it needs, you know, tens of millions of pounds spending on it. The pandemic got in the way a bit, but this week we announced a deal with Gridsurf and Atashi to do exactly that, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. So what does it mean in layman's terms? What, 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 what will I see? What will change? Well, we've got about 350 kilowatt pumps on the motorway now. They used to be thought of as fast chargers, but they're not fast anymore. Um, so first thing we're doing is replacing all 300 of those with new stuff. Uh, they'll be a little bit faster than 50, but not that much. But they'll also charge two cars at once. And because we have two bays at every pump, uh, that will double our capacity in effect. And it'll be contactless. And we're going to support all the three major standards of charging which is fabulous and then in parallel we've started work anyway on the high-powered charging we're, we're putting in um, six pumps at moto's new service station at rugby um, and uh, with grid serve and Atashi, we're just kicking off uh, the whole program of hpc we're going to put between six and 12 of these new pumps which go to 350 kilowatts uh, or up and down the motorway everywhere and it's worth saying that when we began it was 10 years ago this summer. There were a handful, literally, of electric cars on the road. We could see the chicken and egg problem that nobody was building chargers because nobody bought cars and nobody was going to buy cars if they couldn't charge. So we jumped in and we put three pin plugs on the motorway, seven kilowatts. And today, 10 years later, we're at 350 kilowatts. And our government have said 10 years from now, you can't buy a conventional car new, which is Indeed. just incredible. Yeah. I guess, Dale, this work doesn't happen over a weekend. No, but we're getting started. Uh, in fact, we've already started, replaced one of the 50 kilowatt units already. We had one that broke and, and so Gridserve whipped one over from Italy and we bunged it in last week. Uh, we, we do hope, though, to have the 300 existing pumps replaced by summer and, you know, to be well underway with the high powered charging base. So um, yeah, I would have thought 12 to 18 months and, you know, we might have done the whole thing. We're spending 30 million quid provided to us by Hitachi. Fantastic. Uh, there is a question actually from Phil on Twitter. Reference this: Is there any plans to grow the electric highway into towns and some of the areas that don't have much EV charging? It's a reasonable question, of course. Yeah, it is. But the answer is no. We've got enough on our hands to sort out the motorway and the major road network. And it's also worth bearing in mind that um, the use of electric cars is changing. As the technology improves, the range increases, the speed of refilling increasing as well. The use of electric cars is fast approaching a place where it's just like using a fossil powered car in that most of us just fill it up once 
every week or every two weeks, we go to a petrol station, we you know plug in for five minutes and we're done. Electric cars will be at that point soon. And so the anxiety around having charging points everywhere will fall away. We are bound to return to this story, Dale. Uh, lots of exciting developments as it moves forward. Uh, also this morning, we're talking about this. Tonight, nuclear officials warning of a possible nuclear reactor meltdown still unfolding in Japan. They have been watching three facilities near the epicenter with concern all day, and at one of them, fuel rods are now exposed, and if they stay that way, they could release radioactivity and a disaster of unknown proportions. This is 10 years ago, uh, and it's prompted the question, do we still need nuclear, Dale? Yeah, actually, we're going to return to this story, the highway story, sooner than you think, Ian, because there's an Atashi link here. Hitachi were involved in the building of Fukushima, and post the uh, disaster of 10 years ago, uh, it was an event that caused them to pivot away from nuclear power and to dedicate themselves to doing actually some good. This is what we've heard through our, our relationship in, in this deal with the highway. So it's really interesting to see a company like Hitachi that have been involved in that stuff uh, now focusing their efforts on the, what, you know, what I would call the good stuff. But to your question, do we need nuclear power? That's a big fat no. I mean, it's, it's, it's like too expensive. It's too slow to build. It's too dangerous. It, I mean, it hasn't got anything to offer, actually. Even the much vaunted ability to run at baseload is actually a problem for nuclear because it can only run at baseload. It's very difficult to flex it on and off. Um, and, and that's what, what about the argument that it's supremely clean and therefore that's why <laughs> that's why we should be embracing it we hear this often yeah but if you look at the carbon embedded in the construction of a nuclear project you know which can take 10 years to build and cost billions of pounds you're probably looking at a decade or two before you're even sat at zero carbon you know in, in budgetary terms in, in that the electricity you've made has saved as much carbon as you've used to build the thing yeah, you've got to power the thing as well. <laughs> often forgotten in the equation somewhat. But, I mean, in terms of its danger, I mean, people will always debate this. We know that in Fukushima nobody died directly, but there were suggestions that thousands, about 2,000 elderly people, died prematurely yeah. uh, as a result of their sort of enforced evacuation and huge number of displaced people, distress, all that went with it. So they may not go wrong that often, but when they do go wrong, it is seismic. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, climate events are just increasing in certainty and regularity, you know, and that makes a lot of the world's nuclear power stations vulnerable. The other thing I would say is that these thermal power stations, which is what a nuclear power station is, they, they do something else that doesn't get talked about very often, but they heat the oceans because half the energy that they generate is turned into electricity and the other half is wasted heat. And, and typically they use seawater to cool them down. So we're heating the oceans by making it electricity from nuclear power. In France, uh, a lot of their nukes are actually on rivers and they have a different kind of problem in the summer when water levels are low, they have to turn them off because they can't get the water to cool them. Here's a question from Sue. Uh, Dale, any plans to be at COP26 yet? It seems like there's going to be a lot of fringe events uh, planned. Will you be talking? I've got no plans to be there. I've got a feeling that I'll be there, um, but no plans at the moment. Um, you know, I think I, you I, just turn up. Uh, like, yeah, I probably will just turn up. Walk in. I mean, let's bring back the old rebellious Dale Vince. That's what I say. In you go with a flag, <laughs> shouting at our leaders.
<laughs> yeah, probably get shot these days when you be going shouting. There somewhere. is that possibility, I suppose. Uh, but uh, as Sue says, there will be lots of fringe events and lots of opportunities there for for, for different debates, which you know, one hopes feeds into the, the kind of bigger discussions. I'm, I'm always wary when when governments get together for anything, you know, G7, G20, and you think they're about to discuss the world's problems, and they do it over twelve hours. And you think, is that yeah. enough time, really? No, all of the hard work should be done this year. I mean, that's very clear in all these big international conferences. You don't leave the agreement till the actual week of the conference. You know, you get all the heavy lifting done ahead of time. And I have to say, the signs are not good for us that our government is going to do something because obviously this is the government that stood by and allowed the new deep coal mine in Cumbria to go ahead, the third runway at Heathrow and the expansion of Drax into Europe's biggest gas-fired power station. All of this is recent, just in the last few months. And last week, they cut duty on uh, domestic air travel, which is just crazy. You know, I mean, how big is our country that we need to fly from one place to another? Boris Johnson said it was to increase connectivity, which is madness. And at the same time, quietly abandoned the manifesto pledge to put superfast broadband in all homes in the next few years, which is proper connectivity for a post-pandemic world. Do you know what they did in my road, Dale? Uh, no. This is your super fast broadband. <laughs> so you've got a, a road, and it's, a, you know, I don't know, a mile long. They decided to start at one end and start at the other end and work so they meet in the middle. But they just missed out five houses in the middle. Just <laughs> one of those houses. <laughs> That's brilliant. I thought you were going to say they started on different sides of the road. Oh, so that they... <laughs> been, yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, I, I don't know how this works out, whether there's a bit of complicated road that they thought – you know, the BT boys thought, oh, we're not going up there. That's going to be, uh, that's a hell of a dig. I don't know uh, what it was, but. But super fast broadband for everybody is is critical connectivity, right. you know, enables us to operate in a, in a modern, low carbon way, working and meeting without traveling. And, and our government abandoned that and instead cut duty to make it cheaper to fly from one city in Britain to another. I mean, what the hell? Which you can't, you simply can't do quicker than a train, by the way, because. You know, once you factor in going to the airport, all the checks that happen before you, even flying domestically, yeah. you're still there beforehand by at least an hour. Um, no, that's that's right. You, you're quite right because afterwards. Sorry, I talked over you, but you know, we we mapped out journeys to um, to Europe before to go to recent cops uh, in Bonn, and it was it was actually comparable to catch a train to fly yeah. with with all of the airport time. But you know what, our government are doing. Uh, with with two hands is just just such a big contradiction. On the one hand, we're spending over a hundred billion on HS2 to cut twenty minutes off the journey time from London to Birmingham, destroying ancient woodlands in the process. And on the other hand, they're cutting air duty to make it cheaper to fly from London to Birmingham to compete with the new train. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, that's just, I think that lack of what's that phrase? Joined up thinking. <laughs> yeah, con- connectivity, Johnson would call it, but not, yes. not in terms of yeah, not, 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 not in policy not terms. In right way. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this story, Dale. Um, shipping industry representatives have submitted a proposal to the United Nations. The view here is to charge a climate-related levy on fossil fuels used by international shipping. This will be the first time something like this has happened. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a voluntary proposal from uh, a bunch of countries and an organization. And, and it looks like it's just to head off some something worthwhile uh, because the levy they're proposing is tiny. I think it's like $1.40 per ton of, of dirty oil, yeah. uh, which is what ships burn. And that's the fundamental problem. We need to change what they burn, clean it up. Um, 
But yeah, it looks like it's just a head off proper action, which is a real shame. Um, when I read the headline, I was really excited. I thought, wow, you know, look at this. Go go shipping, guys. But um, it doesn't look as good as it sounds. We've been involved in some um, low-carbon shipping projects before, looking at proposals to stick wings on ships. Sounds a bit weird. But by that, I mean like a, like a turbine blade stuck yeah. on the deck of a ship and and operated like a turbine blade pitching into the wind and you know you can you can knock 20 percent maybe off of the fuel cost of, uh, of of running a ship by using wind just bringing wind power back to drive ships which is you know pretty exciting and, and i hope that that's one of the measures that the shipping industry picks up you know there are, there are two or three different versions there are people flying kites off the bowels of ships as well to pull them along big kites obviously yeah, there's a lot needs to be done, uh, but but not not a silly little you know one one dollar forty um, levy on a on a ton of dirty oil. It's interesting just looking at how different um, either different industries or different countries. There was a story this week in Switzerland. Energy companies there have made green electricity the default choice, and huge numbers of consumers were happy to stick with it, even though it costs a little more. So four years after they switched over to this, researchers found that eighty percent of consumers still stuck with the green tariffs, despite the fact that it might be initially a little more costly. Yeah, uh, as you say, uh, I think they started about five years ago. And um, what they what they discovered, they think is is the power of default and, and the kind of unwillingness of people to uh, make a change, you know, that, that if, if you're faced with having to do something, it's quite likely that you won't do it is what they're finding. Businesses have been paying a 14% premium in the same scheme, but just not shifting. And you'd think a business was more likely to say, oh, look, I'll take that saving. Let's let's make a change. But it's just not happening. And it's very interesting. But, you know, we've we've kind of dealt with, with wrestled that issue in the electricity industry here for a long time. Uh, you know, the, the power of incumbency is a very big thing. Of course. Um, remember our friend Rob Greenfield? Uh, from the USA? Yeah, this was... So this started when I think I think Jeremy in Portland first emailed us and said, is there an American version of Dale Vince? And then somebody else in the States emailed us and said, yes, there's a guy called Rob Greenfield. And we had a little uh, titter about uh, how a, an environmentalist is called Mr. Greenfield, which we thought was rather, rather nice. But you did. Um, and that, well, I did, yes. <laughs> and then Jeremy has emailed back and said, uh, "Rob Greenfield is no American Dale Vince because apparently he eats squirrels oh my God. in his own garden." <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm with you there. So he's a squirrel-eating monster. We now understand. Blimey. Well, that's uh, unexpected. What if he eats dead squirrels? Well, because there is a roadkill theory, isn't there, about eating them? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's a victimless crime. But then how many, I mean, squirrels don't grow on trees, do they? I can't imagine walking <laughs> around his, they live in trees, but does he walk around his garden finding lots of dead squirrels? That would be curious. Yeah, no idea. It can't be a lot of nutrition in a squirrel. Not a lot of meat on a squirrel either. No. Maybe one portion at best one would have thought. He may have a lot of squirrel fur clothing. Maybe he's part squirrel, Rob Greenfield. I don't know. We will... Um, I think this man needs some further investigation, to be honest. I'm not sure I want to know more, actually. Yeah, well, after his uh, the squirrel revelation, I think this is kind of breaking news. Uh, we'll get more on that for next week's episode, what Mr. Greenfield did next. Um, tougher rules are being introduced to make appliances like fridges, washing machines, and TVs cheaper to run 
And here's the crucial bit, last longer, because we've all had this theory, haven't we, that, you know, when we were kids, your nan's fridge was your nan's fridge forever. I mean, it was there when you were four. It was there when you were 24. It never went anywhere. Today, people change fridges like they change shoes. You know, every couple of years, oh, I want a new one. Hmm. Yeah, same with phones, actually. Uh, um, I, I saw the story you're talking about. I think it's a really good thing. Um, I, I want to point out that it's something we agreed to do two years ago when we were part of the EU. It's actually an EU initiative, not a British one, uh, but it's still a good initiative. And yeah, these things shouldn't be obsolete. I mean, part of it is forcing manufacturers to make spare parts available so that stuff can be repaired. I mean, my God, where did we get to where we have to force that to be a thing? Uh, you know, it should happen, shouldn't it? It should be an obvious thing. Um, and also they're going to drive up energy efficiency standards. Um, and the government is saying that uh, typical households will save 75 quid a year because of the new energy efficiency standards that are kind of bolted into this new non-obsolescence rule, let's call it that. Well, you know, all in all, I mean, it's a good thing to do. It's a proper, sensible thing to do, you know, make stuff that lasts longer, that uses less energy. I'm all for it. It's interesting because I remember as a kid, let's bring Hitachi back into this. My dad had a cassette radio, Hitachi cassette radio. I remember them. This, this was incredible, this bit of kit. I mean, I couldn't have been prouder of my dad when he came home one day having purchased this device. It just looked like, you know, it was like I was living with Mike Reed, the DJ, when, <laughs> when, when he whipped out his cassettes and started playing tunes. It was brilliant. And uh, he somehow, I think he dropped it in a sink or something while picking it up across the kitchen. And I rem I can remember to this day him searching. It was a big story, a conversation piece in the house that he had to find somewhere to get it repaired. And eventually he found a place in Ashford in Kent where you could, that, that repaired these things and he took it along and the guy dried it out or whatever he did. Now today, I don't think a similar device, somebody would spend that amount of time and diligence looking for a repair place they'd probably just go online and buy another one yeah i think in the same story uh, government said that we're creating one and a half million tons of electronic waste a year and and you know one of their goals is to reduce that coincidentally i think the guy that invented the cassette uh, died this week i'm sure i read that in the newspaper maybe today yeah he was 90 sorry he was 90 yes i think he was um yeah sad that's not a bad one on your CV, is it? What did you do with your life? I invented the cassette, say. No, that's right. I mean, I was, I was thinking of, you know, mentioning that to my boy, Rui, he's 13 now, but uh, I think he looked at me and said, a what? <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my neighbor's daughter was doing a spelling thing and she, I was standing there talking to the neighbor and she came out with her school book. And she said, mum, what's a cassette? And <laughs> mum said, what? Oh, a cassette. And she looked at the, she said, a cassette. And then, of course, she had to explain what a, you know, what a cassette was. Yeah strange isn't yeah. it? when you realize you're in a different era very different isn't it very and here's a question from anna uh, in montreal we've got a very international flavor uh, to this podcast now and not not one not two but three listeners this week on my talk radio program who would not ordinarily be listening to kind of if you like a, a green podcast reference this podcast apropos nothing at all just what? suddenly awesome know, reference listening to it so this is a, a growing affair with that in mind anna says when are you launching the show merchandise we're waiting uh, i mean to be fair it's been on our list for a little while to create some zero carbonista merchandise we just just haven't got around to it yet i think when we do it we'll we'll make it out of coffee beans you know just to uh square the circle um yeah but then we th th there'd be all the kind of slogans that you know the sort of frankie says dale says you know that kind yeah. of stuff we can have some fun with the slogans i reckon yeah, and I think a bit of controversy is always good, isn't it? You know, 
So, yeah, essential. So, absolutely. So, you know that more than anybody. So, you have to mix things up a little yeah. bit. Well, in my case, I would say it's unavoidable. I just, you know, I don't set out to be controversial, but I don't. It's uh, a default yeah. setting, but it's one that's kind of. Um, it just happens. Yeah. You're not complaining about that, of course. It's done rather well for you, isn't yeah. it? In, in lots of ways. So. True that. That's it for this episode, Dale. Uh, we will speak next Friday. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Ian. Uh, don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically and leave a review there too. If you want to get in touch, dead simple, email your comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Really important bit, follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero Carbon East of.